and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be breaking down the OKC Thunder point guard rotation. This entire week on the pod, I'm going to be going position by position, breaking down the minute counts. So we'll be going point guard, shooting guard, small forward. You get the gist there. So I'll be delving into that. I'll be talking about four different players today where I believe their minutes will stand and what their role will be heading forward. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out with the rotation series we're going to have on the pod over the next five podcasts. It kind of speaks for itself, but it's just a breakdown on how I believe the OKC Thunder will suit up in their first day of action. And one thing that is very important to note when I break down these numbers, 240 minutes in total, you know, you you currently have 18 players signed to standard contracts, two two-way signees and two exhibit 10 signees. Obviously, that's going to get trimmed down a little bit. For the purposes of this, the two exhibit 10 signees will not be added as they're likely going to be waived and put on the blue. But as for the other current members, I'm going to be discussing them, where they fill in, starter, bench piece, maybe J-League, out of the rotation or roster. I'll be going over kind of all of that, but when we're talking parameters, you have to set that this is for the day one unit. If I were to tell you guys what I believe the rotation would look like in December, it's going to be completely different than what I'm telling you guys today. And the reason I say that is because NBA rotations change all of the time, especially with a team such as the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, they tend to start their veterans to begin the season. Sometimes they have rehab projects, if you will. I don't think they have any more marquee guys of that nature anymore, but they tend to front load veteran minutes. And as the season winds down, as injuries occur, that's when you get to see the rookies and kind of the newcomers get that long-term action and the overall evaluation. That's not how I'm going to play this. I'm playing this as what is that day one lineup when OKC is prepping for the 2022 to 23 season. So that's laying the foundation. Another thing uh, in terms of positions In order to kind of spread this out, I'm going to be moving some players up a position. For example, Josh Giddey will be in the next episode as a shooting guard. Lou Dort will be a small forward. This is based on the starting rotations. I understand that Giddey's a point guard. Lou Dort's a shooting guard. However, they do get slid up in the depth chart, making them, you know, in that set category. So hopefully that lays things out here today. As for who I will be discussing, I'll be talking about SGA, Trey Mann, Teo Maladone, and Ty Jerome. So here is my overall breakdown, and it's starting with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I've seen other people do, you know, some attempts at the rotation. I'm going to shout out Joe Musato of the Oklahoman. He's kind of the inspiration for this piece because he dropped a really good piece on that last week. Uh, But there's a bit of differences here, and I think the biggest one I saw between myself and his was uh, surrounding Shea Gildas-Alexander. Now, I think he had SGA fetching 32 minutes, which is still a a pretty good sum, but I have SGA getting 35 minutes. This is star-level minutes. If you look, 
you know, previously into SGA's time with the OKC Thunder. This will be his fourth season with the team. He's been averaging a good chunk of minutes. In all, he's averaged 34.5 minutes per game, even in his first year, averaged 34.7. I mean, he was right there in the thick of it with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. And at times, he was playing above some of them in the depth chart. So he's asserted himself, and they've found their pillar in SGA. You would say that you think an uptick in minutes is is set, but 35 is already a very high bar. I don't think they're going to tinker around with that, uh, especially to start the season. I think even though you're trying to win games early in this year, development you know might be a little bit more spread out on the timeline, you're not going to be playing your guy like 38 minutes per game, right? Just in terms of fatigue and in terms of experimenting with maybe bench rotations, I think 35 is a good area to kind of cap off at as of right now, but he's the star. He's the one putting the keys in the ignition, and he's the one leading the Thunder to the promised land, you know, during the future of this rebuild. He started things out, and he's going to be a major part of that road for the team. Last two seasons, SGA has had the resume to prove he is an integral part of this organization. He is the biggest part of of the organization as of right now. He led the league in drives the last two years. A lot of these came off of high ball screens. This is where he's at the top of the key. Doesn't matter the center. You can talk about guys such as Al Horford, Mike Muscala. The list can go on on screen centers um, he's had in the last two seasons. But he gets that screen and just immediately knifes to the basket. He's one of the craftiest isolation and penetration guys in the NBA at six foot six. I mean, he is a very hard puzzle to deal with and he has a lot of different methods of scoring the basketball. Now the biggest one obviously is that slashing ability. When he gets to the cup inside three feet, he is nothing short of a cannon. Even if you get in his way, he's able to contort his body or at bare minimum, Get a foul call to where he's heading right up to the charity stripe. Every single season with the Thunder, he has improved as a free throw, not just shooter, but in terms of attempts. He started out averaging 5.1 in his first season, 6.5 in the 2020-21 to season, and last year, he averaged 7.2 free throw, shooting 81%. Extremely efficient. When you're talking, you know, who's orchestrating the best for this team, it is SGA. And in terms of who's creating the most for this team, it's still SGA. Does he need to hone in from downtown? Absolutely. You know, the first two seasons he was with the squad, he was one of the better three-point shooters. About 35% playing alongside CP3. Two seasons ago, he shot 42% near. Near 42%. I mean, that is ridiculous. And, you know, he's a very difficult cover. Last season... Still very much a threat. You know, I'd say you can make a case he was even more so of one. You know, the numbers do show that as he posted a career high. But he did take a bit of a dive in terms of field goal percentage from downtown. Shot about 40% off the catch. But in isolation, he was not as consistent from three. So that's the one nitpick with SGA. But outside of that, I mean, he is balling out. And as you guys are going to kind of hear... 
in the next pods I will be posting about the rotation, you know, it's very important to surround SGA with compatible players. And what I mean by that, I mean players that are going to be able to spot up in the corner and get efficient catch-and-shoot numbers up. They shot 32.6% I believe on catch-and-shoot threes last year. That is atrocious. That's one of the worst numbers we have seen since tracking began nine seasons ago. And SGA was able to get players open. It just wasn't falling for other teammates. If he's able to have that supporting cast, I can stretch the floor out. Most definitely, he's going to have better numbers next season. And, you know, you're going to see why he truly is a star. As we get into the latter portions of the year, I do think you can see the trend where maybe he is waned a little bit off of averaging 35 minutes per game. But that is solely due to letting some other young players get on court time. I will say, I think that the point guard position is a lot more set in stone and kind of chalk than others, just based on the fact that guys like Teo and Ty, um, you know, they they don't necessarily have an immediate ticket to getting playing time when you evaluate the backcourt. So you have that clear-cut option with SGA, uh, and then whenever you get into maybe the later stages, guys like Trey Mann and others will be able to uh, get additional looks. But as of right now, out the gate, SGA, 35 minutes per game. I'm pretty confident in that. I don't expect him to get really anything more or anything less. Minute leader by far uh, for what I have mocked up and very good contributor for this team heading forward. I want to talk about the other three point guards in one second here, but first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, make your first bet to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. No more NBA basketball for a couple more months now. We're going to see some players out in international contests. FIBA and Eurobasket play for Veet, Kredci, and Teo Maladon. Did a pod on that in my previous episode. Gonna have some other sports to catch up on, though. Baseball, MMA, as listed. So you're always going to have some options. And with football season around the corner, you're gonna have that as well. Best of all, though, with DraftKings, it is safe, secure, and reliable. And you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Going into the second unit, Trey Mann to no surprise is slotted in here and quite frankly this was a tough decision for me to make I think when you're talking about you know the instant spark plug the microwave the six man it goes to Trey man 
However, I think because it's the beginning of the year, this works on both sides. I don't expect him to immediately have 26, 28 minutes per game. By the end of the season, absolutely. I think you could see him getting 30 minutes a game, uh, depending on the opponent and the actual in-game situation. But right now, I have him listed at 22 minutes. This is not a very hefty portion for him. When you check out you know, his previous statistics uh, as a rookie last year, it was a bit polarizing to begin in terms of his overall minute production, but he averaged just about that, 22.8 minutes per game. After SGA went down, that's when you really got to see him in action, started 26 games out of his 60 had two 30-point performances, one of which being 35 points. Did the numbers on that. That's the most points scored by a number 18 pick in their rookie season. So that's an accolade you guys can kind of tally up to him. But he's lethal, and he has shown when he is on, he's on. So I have him at 22 for the day one. But you better believe if he drops 12 points in the first five minutes, you know, this is a game where he's playing more than 22 minutes per game. It's about finding sort of that 10-man rotation, the perfect set of starters and bench players that you can kind of intertwine within lineups. With Trey Mann, I think he's that perfect six-man type of glue guy that can play the one or the two. And I think the different factor between him and guys like SGA and Josh Kitty is that he is a proven sharpshooter both on and off the ball. We're talking off the catch and in isolation. Now, I will say SGA has been stellar off the catch since he's been in OKC. Until last season, he was a flamethrower in isolation, hitting three-point shots. And I think next year we should see him turn back up on the positive side here. With Trey Mann, he right out of the gate was shooting you know, upper to mid-30s off the catch and in isolation. He is someone who's able to pack a punch, get you in double digits early uh, with a single performance and kind of turn the tides of a basketball game. We saw this firsthand last year. I think the most notable one was when he was out in the garden. He ended up dropping close to 30 points. I think it was 29 points for him. Josh Giddy neared a triple-double in MSG. And I think that was probably one of my favorite games I covered last year, personally. And it was just because he was unfazed by anybody. He plays his own type of basketball game. And sometimes he's going six of six from the field. Sometimes he's going two of six from the field. But one thing is really certain, and that's he's one of the best scoring sophomores that are going into next season. And that holds some really big weight. There's two aspects to him, and it's, you know, playing on the ball, playing off ball. I think he does both perfectly fine. That's why I think he is stamped in as that six man, and that's why he's going to continue to have major major minutes with this team just breaking down the averages from last year 10.4 points per game shooting 36 percent from distance in 22.8 minutes he was one of the better scorers on the team pretty solid efficiency to get there 1.5 assists per game to 1.2 turnovers so he could improve a bit in terms of the passing department i think that you know one area that was showcased really in both summer leagues is he's looking to score and I know summer league games you don't draw anything from him like Trey Mann was one of the least efficient players in the Las Vegas summer league one year ago could not buy a bucket 
taking contested layup after contested layup, wasn't looking to kick out. And then he's an entirely different player where he's hardly driving inside last year. He's looking to shoot more threes, really. And then he can tap inside for like a floater and such. But two different players there, and it's going to be the same thing. Wasn't a very impressive summer league this year for him, but he's going to turn the tides yet again. Biggest area of improvement probably does come in that passing department in terms of just driving and kicking the basketball out. Kind of want to limit those maybe more contested reads. But the beauty of it is, Even when he is contested, he's still able to create just enough space to bury some difficult jump shots that not a lot of people on this Thunder roster can do. So shot creation is a premium for a team like OKC. They need someone who can spot up in the wings or create as that secondary playmaker. That's exactly what Trey Mann is going to do in his second season with the team. That moves on to what you would chalk up as the third stringers, and that would be Teo Maladone and Ty Jerome. And I've had multiple podcasts on both of these guards in the last two weeks or so, just kind of assessing their own individual situations and then how it combines. There's going to be a theme throughout this week where I'm just going to be talking about fringe roster players, people that are going to be on the bubble, need to make a statement in training camp to clinch likely the 15th roster spot on this team because barring a shocker, it looks like about 14 spots out of the 15 guaranteed are locked up. So it's about four players fighting for one spot. Obviously, that could change. You know, this is just consensus. And the Thunder, they could have their own opinion on some of these matters. But with Teo Maladone, I think that he is that fringe roster type of player. If he does make the team, he's going to be inactive to start things out. I still think he's an NBA caliber player, but because of this team and because of what I'll be discussing in the next pod about shooting guards, it's just very hard to envision him cracking this rotation. One thing that I continue to harp on, on the podcast, on my articles, this is a four guard system in Oklahoma City and you want it to be an interchangeable quartet of guards where doesn't matter what the combination is, both of them are able to create on the ball or off the ball, shoot off the catch, shoot on the move, doesn't matter. Just being able to contribute in OKC system, which is very half-court heavy in terms of high ball screens being set and dribble drives, you have to mesh into that. With Teo, I think he does in terms of some of these boxes, and, and that's why I still think he has a case to make this team, and he still has some potential there, but... There are some rough edges that don't necessarily check the current archetypes I have in my top four right now, and that's kind of what separates him from the pack and why I think he is inactive to begin this season. Absolute roller coaster ride for him. Goes from minute leader as a rookie to hardly playing last season. He didn't play in the OKC Blue organization as a rookie because he played so well, and then he had to go on assignment because he just simply did not have minutes last year. In terms of efficiency, has not been very efficient the last two seasons for the Thunder. Has he had good games? Absolutely. But the big things you need to take away with Teo, a very crafty playmaker. If you guys looked at his highlights going into the draft, I mean, he was a cross-court passing wizard. And even to begin his rookie campaign, you saw a lot of that, where he was just making absolutely beautiful passes, tap passes, cross courts, slinging it off one arm. Like he was doing some pretty ridiculous stuff. And, you know, at age 19, you're looking at him and you're thinking, well, he's going to be the sixth man uh, going into 
last season. You know, that was kind of the expectation just based on how he was able to contribute to this team. But he wasn't able to shoot the basketball very well last year. 29.3% from distance in terms of assists, 2.2 per game for him. Assisted turnover ratio, probably not as good as you would hope based on his overall archetype and profile. Like, if you, if you had to rank his top traits, I think playmaking's number one. So you do want to have maybe some better decision-making for him. But he has a very tight handle. I'd say he has a good feel for the pick and roll, and that is very important for a team like Oklahoma City. On the other side of that coin, though, you know, is he going to be able to contribute alongside SGA if he's going to be that secondary combo guard? I think most likely he'd be sharing the court with Trey Mann, someone who luckily can play both on or off the ball, so that can alleviate at least some of the duties and kind of put him in a half-court situation where he is the initiator. But when he's not the initiator, you got to defer to his catch-and-shoot stats, which you know, do not really compare to the other guards they have attempted to bring in. So you do need to take that into account. It's all about situation. I think that, and this is, I feel really strongly about this. I think that second round picks are basically an entirely different realm than a first round selection. And there are obviously exceptions with first round picks. I think with a first round pick though, you're being brought in and you are kind of catered towards, you know, you are brought into a system where your services are 100% needed, you're going to have playing time, and you're going to make some sort of contribution to begin your career. Second round picks, I don't think are exactly that. Most second round picks are brought on to a team where their role might be a, a tad redundant, if you will. They have some good traits, but when you look at the depth chart, there's two or three guys that are going to be ahead of them. You're brought in as a project that is not a surprise or anything, but it is an uphill battle. And what can happen is there's just an influx of, you know, signees from the free agent market year after year to where you don't get that chance and you don't get the on-court time where you truly can develop as a player. So a lot of second round picks are stunted and just aren't able to carve a role in the NBA. In terms of Teo, I don't believe the Thunder are probably the best fit for him. And this is, you know, with all biases of covering the team aside, right? He's a player that thrives in the half court with the basketball in his hands, kicking it out off the pick and roll. He's not the guy playing at the wing, coming off the catch. He's the guy orchestrating things. He's pulling the strings. In OKC system, it's very hard to envision him being the one pulling the strings consistently and maybe even for a long tenure. I still believe he's an NBA-level type of playmaker. I think decision-making-wise, he still is on par. And if he gets weighed by the Thunder, I'm sure someone claims him because he is going to be probably a sneaky backup uh, depending on where he would land if he were to be waived. But based on the Thunder's needs, it's probably not the slam-dunk fit. If you're looking to retain talent, that's why you keep him around. He might have to play in the blue in some stints might be someone that doesn't get to see much on-court time until someone gets injured. But if he can be a plug-and-play contributor on both on and off-the-catch plays, I think that's where you really get to see your money's worth and he'll be able to sort of close out the season with this team. I think the biggest stat to pull away with Maladone is how he ended last season. He was playing on one of the best streaks 
of his career. Averaged 14.8 points, 4.6 rebounds, and 4.8 assists in his last 10 games. Proving why he is he is an NBA rotation type of player. Did he play surrounded by a good chunk of OKC Blue guys? Yes. Did he have a lot of minutes in these games? Absolutely he did. But he was still very good at orchestrating the offense, and he showed his true colors when he is the sole point guard in rotation. So he's probably more of that point guard type of player. You do list him as a combo guard because he is six foot five, but I do think that naturally he does rest at that one spot. Ty Jerome, I think, is more of that traditional run-of-the-mill combo guard. Same exact situation as Teo Maladone, where he's on the cusp of being on this roster. If he breaks into the roster, he's going to be inactive. He's going to be that 15th or 14th man waiting to get minutes. If someone gets injured, you plug him in. I think the advantage to, uh, to Ty is he is a bit more of a low-maintenance player in the fact that his assist-to-turnover ratio has been insanely good while he's been in the NBA. As a three-point shooter, he was off the charts in his first season with the Thunder, but he did tank last year, did not shoot above 30% from distance, and this was a guy who was shooting 42-43% from deep on a pretty high volume as well. He's nailing 32 footers like it's a free throw. I mean, it was wacky what he was doing after his time with the OKC Blue that year. If you're confident in his shooting abilities and you think that he is still able to contribute, he's going to be shooting 35-36% off the catch, well, then he does have a pretty good case. But I think any way you slice it, just like Teo, it's a four-guard rotation for this OKC Thunder backcourt, and he would still be on the outside looking in. 25 years old for Ty Jerome here. I think the biggest thing with him is the contractual status, because Teo has two more years left. Some of the other guys on this uh, roster bubble have more than one year remaining on their contract. This is it for Ty. I mean, this is his fourth season on his rookie scale contract, and there's a $6.2 million qualifying offer for him. The Thunder can extend that. You know, um, Sam Presti has been pretty transparent about it. He said in his uh, draft presser, post-draft presser, that, you know, they have the advantage of being able to maybe shed some guaranteed salary. And that comes from Clay Bennett. I think they're all on the same page. He was first talking about, you know, waiving players that are guaranteed, but I think that does tap into off-season deals such as this. If you do extend that qualifying offer, what type of contract would you end up fetching? And would you match that deal? I think that's something you need to look into. And is this someone that's going to be on the team in the next four to five years all very important questions uh, in terms of if you are going to keep him around for this 15-man roster I'll reiterate it you know I feel pretty strongly that in terms of the floor for him it's probably a bit higher than some of the other guys on this roster bubble he's a little more seasoned as a player I think the passing is something that you're never going to take away from him very meticulous in the half court three ball is really what everything is contingent on. You know, when he is able to hit threes, he's that microwave type of guy that's able to drop 15 points off the bench, able to have a, a good chunk of assists with zero turnovers. He's able to take over the game. But are you able to put him in that environment? Is he going to thrive under that environment? That's what you need to look at. And 
with SGA getting 35 minutes, with Trey Mann getting 22 minutes. It just makes it very difficult to envision him breaking into the immediate roster. If he makes the team later on, he's going to be that guy coming off the bench and fielding minutes. Later in the season, he's going to be fielding minutes. But no on-court time to begin the regular season. Veet Krejci, you can say he's a point guard. That's you know where he was listed at when he was selected. I have him as a small forward for the purposes of kind of spreading things out. I don't want to have too many guys in one positional category and kind of short end some of the other episodes that will follow this. Uh, but that's the overall gist on the point guard spot. I'm going to be rounding out the backcourt in the next podcast, breaking down the shooting guard spots. So you guys do not want to miss out on that. 240 minutes to be allocating here. Today, we have shed a grand total of 57 at the point guard spot. So I'll keep you guys posted in the following episodes here. Hopefully you guys stick around for this little mini series I have. If you have differing opinions on the rotation, make sure to hit me up on Twitter at Ben Kreider, or you guys can hit up the pods Twitter at Thunderstick Pod. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.